Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you learn how researchers are using AI to understand and maybe even talk back to whales, why pedestrians aren't wired to follow the shortest route, and why women are just as competitive as men. They just show it differently. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Have you ever wanted to have a conversation with a whale, Ashley? Uh, yes, always. Same. Well, get this. Someday, we might be able to, thanks to a new project called the Cetacean Translation Initiative, a.k.a. Project SETI. It's an ambitious project. The team is hoping to use artificial intelligence to model and eventually translate sounds made by sperm whales into human language and maybe even to have a back-and-forth conversation with them. Now, why sperm whales? Well, sperm whales are smart, and their conversations lend themselves well to analysis. Sperm whales communicate using what are called codas. A coda is a brief series of clicks that sounds a little bit like Morse code. Sperm whales talk back and forth to each other using these codas, and the relatively complex structure suggests that the language is complex too. Another bonus, since these whales communicate across long distances, their communication must be mostly, if not completely, acoustic. That means the data we need to collect is straightforward. All we need is the recording of these vocalizations, rather than more subtle cues like facial expressions or gestures. But the project needs data. In order to create a language model, they need to collect enough recordings for the language processing system to learn and eventually predict what sound might come next. The research team plans to collect and analyze millions of whale codas. Scientists are modeling the AI's learning method based on how human children learn to communicate. From birth, children hear language spoken around them. They deduce the meaning of words from the context and content statistically until they eventually learn the language. AI language models can do this too. The result is a method to create plausible replies even without knowing the meaning or grammar rules of the language. This poses another problem. Even if the bot could talk to the whales, it's tough to figure out the meaning of what it's saying. For instance, if the bot learns to answer... How are you? With fine and you, it could successfully carry on a conversation. But we humans still wouldn't know what the conversation was about. Scientists hope the contextual clues will help them figure out the meaning of the codas and map them onto human language so that we could translate back and forth. Of course, it might turn out that whale conversations are really not that complex. They could just be saying the equivalent of hello back and forth or telling each other about the weather where they're swimming. But even if it's a boring conversation, it'll still be pretty groundbreaking. And maybe the whales will teach us some new tales. I'm just waiting for the one where the whale's like, hey, remember that one time I swallowed an old man and his talking puppet? Weird. <laughs> The shortest path between two points is a straight line. But new research shows that most of the time, we humans only think we're taking the shortest path between two points. Instead, we usually do something pretty different. 
That is, we tend to navigate by using a technique called vector navigation. Instead of taking the most direct path, humans navigate in a way that allows them to spend more time facing their goal. That usually means taking more meandering paths through city streets as opposed to ones that might get us there the fastest. MIT professor Carlo Rodi says he became interested in studying human navigation two decades ago as a graduate student. He realized that he would walk one path to his office every day, then take a different one back home. This is obviously inefficient because there should be one optimal path between two points. Either one or both journeys were much more meandering than necessary. If he wasn't taking the ideal path, he wondered what logic he was using to navigate and what logic everyone else was using. As luck would have it, a few years ago, Roddy's lab scored a set of anonymized GPS data that could help him answer his question. In the data set were 550,000 pedestrian journeys taken by roughly 14,000 people in Boston and San Francisco. Using this data set, Roddy and his colleagues were able to chart real-life pedestrian journeys on maps of city streets and compare those journeys to the most optimal paths between the same two points. They found that humans, on their own, are not particularly efficient navigators. Instead of following the shortest path, most of the journeys followed what Roddy calls the pointiest path. For example, pedestrians will almost always start walking the path that points most directly at their destination, even in cases where the shortest path might actually involve heading in the opposite direction to get to a more direct street. This kind of vector navigation means we travel in ways that keep us faced toward our destination at the expense of efficiency. It might be unfair to call this inefficient, though. Other mammals like rats, bats, and howler monkeys navigate in similar ways, and that suggests that vector navigation might be the most mentally efficient way to travel. It might free up brain power for other cognitive tasks like avoiding predators or reckless drivers. If this is true, it means that we make our feet work harder so our brains don't have to. The gender wage gap is nothing new, but explanations for why it exists have come and gone. One newer theory is that women are less competitive than men are. What do you think of that, Ashley? I don't agree, Cody. I don't agree. Ah, I see. Interesting. Interesting hypothesis, Ashley, because that is a hypothesis that's easy to study. And scientists at the University of Arizona recently did just that. For the study, they engaged 238 participants in a three-round math competition. About half of them were men and half were women. Each participant was assigned to a four-member team. The first round was the same for every team. They just had to look at a list of 12 numbers with decimals and pick out which two of them added up to a total of 10. They were given up to 20 of these lists, and every teammate earned $2 for each problem they completed within 20 minutes. Things got more competitive in round two. In half the teams, the two participants who solved the most problems got $4 for each one, while the other two teammates got nothing. Kind of like a winner-take-all model. In the other teams, the top two participants also earned $4 apiece, but they could decide to share some of the money with a lower-performing teammate. So more of a prize-sharing scheme. In the third round, the participants got to choose which payment plan they wanted. For half of them, this was a choice between a guaranteed $2 per problem or the more competitive winner-take-all model. 
The other teams also got the choice of the guaranteed $2 per problem or the more competitive prize sharing model. Well, the choices the participants made were different for men than they were for women, but not in the way you might think. Roughly half of the men in each of the two groups opted for the more competitive option. Didn't matter whether it was winner-take-all or the prize-sharing model. But the female participants strongly favored the more competitive option when they had the chance to share their winnings. A whopping 60% chose that option when it involved the prize-sharing model, while only 35% went that route when it was winner-take-all. The researchers aren't sure why this is. I mean, did women prefer this model because it let them smooth over bad feelings with losing teammates? Or did they like having control over how rewards are doled out? The team is already developing new experiments to find out. But either way, that concern for others sounds like an excellent trait in a CEO, now doesn't it? All right, well, let's do a quick recap of what we learned today. Starting with the fact that scientists are using AI to understand the language of sperm whales and maybe even talk back to them one day. Sperm whales communicate in a series of Morse code-like clicks called codas, and their complex structure suggests that their language is complex too. The AI will learn their language the same way a child learns their native language, but scientists will have to work harder to actually understand the meaning of that language. Once they do, though, it could change our entire outlook about life on our planet. And although we know that animals communicate using sounds, there is a debate about whether animals use language. And you might ask, well, what's the difference? Well, languages have three qualities that make them distinct from other kinds of vocalizations. First, languages have semantics. So in other words, the meaning of a specific sound or series of sounds must remain the same. And then second is grammar. Languages have rules for how sentences should be formed. And finally, learning. Innate methods of communication, like yawning or frowning, might communicate, but they are not part of language. So, it's a lot there. I'm very excited about this, though. I mean, what if we could talk to whales in our lifetime? Or at least understand them. What would you tell the whale? I'm sorry. I'm sorry we're ruining your habitat. Oh, man. I laughed at first, but that's actually a really amazing thing to say. No, you nailed it. Have you thought about being a CEO? <laughs> Funny you should ask that. We're about to talk about it. <laughs> we sure are. But first, we should talk about how we learned that humans don't take the shortest route to get from point A to point B. Instead, MIT research finds that we take the pointiest route. That is, we take the route that keeps us facing our destination for as much time as possible. Other animals do this too, which suggests that while it might be inefficient from a travel standpoint, it might be more efficient for our brains. And we learned that women are just as competitive as men. They just show it differently. That's according to a study that found that women opted to be more competitive than men if they were given the option to share their winnings, but less competitive if they had to take all the winnings for themselves. The researchers aren't sure why this is, but they're already designing a new experiment to find out. For my end of one single data point, I really relate to the possible reason that they liked having control over how rewards are doled out. I get a lot of fulfillment out of being able to get someone a raise or being able to hire someone and make their day. Like that makes me feel good. And like the ability to have that 
you know, you could call it power, but it it's kind of just a it's a perk of the job to make someone's day better. I mean, the flip side of that is that I can also make someone's day worse, but it does feel like that's a reason to be competitive for a higher position if that position comes with that power. And I have never had power, so uh, I don't derive pleasure from anything. (laughs) What do you mean? Come on. That's not true. I'm the kind of guy that typically competes with himself. I don't do a lot of the... That's not true. I play board games. Uh, I play advanced, like very complicated, advanced strategy board games. Listen, Cody, I have seen you put us out for podcast awards. You get very competitive. (laughs) Oh, yeah. You mean the podcast (laughs) awards that are a really big deal when we win, but when we lose, they're stupid. (laughs) They're stupid and they don't mean anything and they're poorly run. You mean those (laughs) podcast awards? Yes, those ones. Ah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, I don't know. I just, this this speaks to me. And uh, I, I look forward to them doing more research to kind of understand the reasons why. Yeah, not all competitiveness is created equal. It is interesting to me that the root of all of this desire for being competitive comes from desiring power, right? Like you like the power to give people stuff. I like the power to like, I don't know, raise up a trophy and say I want a thing, which you know, doesn't happen a lot in your adult life. We don't all get... Little stickers. Oh man, more workplaces should institute that. Bosses should start putting stickers on things. Yes, oh, yeah. I think probably a lot of sales teams do that, but like not marketing. I've never been in a place where I've worked in a marketing department that uses stickers. Let's bring stickers back. <laughs> I'm not sure they're that environmentally friendly, so maybe not. But let's bring back something like stickers. I, I agree. I'm I'm pro sticker. Thank you. We'll start the movement. Hashtag sticker. Rama. Sticker Rama. Start a movement. <laughs> Today's writers were Brianna Brownell, Cameron Duke, and Steffi Drucker. Curiosity Daily is distributed by Discovery. I'm giving you a virtual sticker for listening to this episode. And if you want another one, then join us again next time. Plus, you'll learn something new in just a few minutes. And until then, stay curious. Stay curious.